Welcome to The Rational Egoist. I'm your host, Michael Leibowitz. A big part of the reason that I started this podcast is to advance the ideas that have contributed so much to my life. Many of those ideas are of the philosopher novelist Ayn Rand. And today's guest is here to talk a little bit about that philosophy of Ayn Rand. He is an entrepreneur, investor, and business executive, and he is also the CEO and president of the Ayn Rand Institute. Tal Tsofani, am I pronouncing that right? I hope so. You did it perfectly. (laughs) All right, great. Well, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. When did you first become attracted to the ideas of Ayn Rand and what drew you to them? You know, I was was growing up in Israel originally. I grew up in a kibbutz. I don't know if you know what it is. Oh, wow. Yeah. When I was little, my grandfather told me he was going to send me to one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Good for you. He didn't. Uh, So, uh, yeah, I uh, I grew up in a kibbutz, which is a commune. And uh, Rand's books were, were all over the place, but I never picked it up. Although I was a very intellectual kid, and I didn't think that those are intellectual books. I just saw how thick they were, right? Uh, so at the age of 40, which was 13 years ago, uh, a colleague of mine at work, we were having some kind of a debate, and she said, uh, oh, you're so sure you're or yourself, uh, you're like an Ayn Rand. You're speaking like an Ayn Rand. And I said, Who's she? And and she said, really, haven't read Atlas Shrugged? And I said, no, I didn't. So she gave me a copy. And yeah, only 13 years ago. Uh, but that book, you know, as I picked it up, became what I call radioactive materials, material in my hand. Um, I felt from the first page that uh, she's, she's uh, trying to communicate something very deep. Uh, that actually attacks a lot of my very core premises. But um, I don't know what it is about the way I think. I always seek for truth. And I'm very um, easy in dropping premises and acquiring new ones if I see that they're better. Um, so yes, yeah, so I had to let go a lot of uh, wrong premises. And and I, I try to argue with Rand over and over and over again about egoism, about and altruism, about happiness, about love, about so many things, about capitalism. And uh, she won every argument, mainly when I moved from the fiction to the nonfiction is where I got real answers for how the world actually works and the human truths about the human condition. Yeah, so and it was a, a, a pretty violent journey. I call it my violent years because it was a years of trans so much transformation in the way I think about things, the way I think about life, about my environment, my relationships with people, my my own uh, values and what I want to uh, achieve in my life. She made me quit my job. I was a VP in a 20,000 people company. Uh, I quit my job, started a, a startup company with, with my brother-in-law. Um, and, you know, it was it was uh, a roller coaster for a while. But uh, the more I got into it, the more I adapted and uh, saw how truthful and rational her, her view of life is, her philosophy is. Um, it got better and better. Yeah. So I, I went through a similar experience where I, I tried to argue with her as, as best I could. And I just found myself getting defeated over and over again <laughs> in, in those arguments. 
So you, yeah. 13 years ago, you discover these ideas, you go through this violent journey, and it, it, now you're the head of the premier objectivist think tank in the world. Yes. That's a, pretty amazing. It, it is a, a pretty wild uh, journey that I had with Rand. So she, you know, she really uh, changed my life. I become, I became um, engaged with the Ayn Rand Institute. I started going to their events. There's a, an annual event that I really recommend. It's, it's such an inspirational uh, conference called OCON, the Objectivist Conference. Uh, it happens every year in, in somewhere in, in the United States. So I went and I met new people that, um, that, you know, I didn't know who are those objective people who call themselves objectivists. Is it a cult? Is it like, <laughs> and I found smart people, people who are um, rational and brilliant and knowledgeable. And um, I couldn't, you know, uh, I wanted more and more of it. So I you know, became a donor, got in, got interested, uh, helped the Institute with uh, my technical skills that I, I, I bring from my software engineering um, domain. And then uh, one day the CEO calls me and says, you know, we've been thinking about, uh, I'm, I'm stepping down, we're thinking about you. And I said, what are you, why are you calling me? <laughs> I'm a startup guy. I was growing a startup in the Silicon Valley. It was 2016. And I said, no. And two years later, we sold the company. And I was, uh, I was like, what do I do now? Um, so I made a mistake of going back to technology just to find out that I really don't want to do it anymore. Uh, and decided to make that shift. So I called them back and I said, is it still relevant? It was. And uh, here I am five years later. I can tell you that I've never had a job like this. It's the most inspiring thing I can think of. It's tr truly, uh, you know, the guy that I replaced said, you have a very simple job description. Change the world, please. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so I'm trying my best to change the world with the power of brands ideas. You kind of preempted my next question, but I'll ask it anyway. What yeah, yeah. What is the mission of ARI, the Ayn Rand Institute, and what specifically would you like to accomplish? Great, great. Uh, so um, the charter of the of the uh, institute, uh, as put forward by the the founder, who's Dr. Uh, Leonard Peikoff, who's uh, Ayn Rand's intellectual uh, heir. Uh, was to propagate uh, the ideas of objectivism by means of educational activities. So all we do, we are actually, you can think about it, about us as a school. We're not a think tank as much as a school. Okay. Uh, I mean, we publish as part of, you know, any, any university publishes, uh, the intellectuals are publishing, this is what they do. But the idea is to, um, so we start from distributing about 400,000 uh, books a year to high schools and to students who are asking for those books for free. Uh, it goes to, so we call that those the kind of the readers. And then we uh, offer them reading groups and we offer them uh, many uh, videos. We have a mobile app that has been downloaded for, I don't know how many tens of thousands of times uh, with all of the objectivist corpus for free. Uh, so Rand's lectures and Leonard Peikoff's lectures and many other lectures about objectivism from our leading intellectuals. And then if they really want to pursue an intellectual career, we have the Ayn Rand University. The Ayn Rand University is, if you think about it, is like a, 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 for young people, like a, a year, a gap year or two gap year where you learn before you choose what you want to do with your life. You go and learn the humanities like they used to in the, you know, the age of reason. 
you you learn the humanities of what is life what is what is what is what does it mean to be moral what does it mean to be fulfilled what is happiness um how should we live as a as a society all of those things in humanities is what we teach in the Iran university and uh for people that are older is like come be auditors in our in our courses so we offer courses uh, they're all virtual uh, global we have people from australia we have people from everywhere in the world um that are coming to learn with us and uh, that's mainly what we do now specifically for me when I, when i started i thought that distributing the content would be you would make the you know would be the right metric to to choose as far as our success and we did distribute our content and we got millions and millions of views and and so on uh in our youtube channel in our mobile app the iron university app um but then i realized that um there's more to be done and i found um or reread uh an amazing article that rand uh, wrote in the collection called philosophy who needs it uh it's called what can one do and there she says if you really want to change the world you need to understand how worlds are changed I mean, think about what happened between, let's say, the dark, you know, um, ages to the to the Renaissance or to the uh, Enlightenment. There was always a very small number of philosophers and intellectuals who are the conveyor belts of those ideas into the culture, and the culture changes and shifts without it knowing that it shifts. How are we now talking about woke? And talking about, uh, you know, can a man be a woman and a woman be a man? How did how did we get here? You know, critical race theory. It's the result of several decades of very small number of intellectuals, highly influential and de deeply philosophical, who are then propagating those ideas through the philosophy departments, to the humanities departments, into the law, into the politics, into everything. And before you know it, your legislators and and your politicians and everyone around you have been educated by new ideas and you haven't seen it happening. Uh, it pops up 50 years later. And it's like, where did this come from? Uh, so if you want to do the heavy lifting of changing the world, what I am doing is educating a new uh, generation of uh, intellectuals who are armed with new intellectual ideas that I think are what we, what we call it is like trying to bring the second renaissance of reason, uh, the age of reason, another age of reason, and um, another enlightenment, because we're losing it. We're in the age of you know, non-reason and irrationality and subjectivity that started with Immanuel Kant, who tried to save uh, faith from reason, uh, and then with a lineage of philosophers from there on who gave us the bloodiest century in world history, the 20th century. And we're still in a decline, and we're going to continue to decline unless we change the trajectory with new ideas. As an entrepreneur, I know that when you're heading into a venture, you're anticipating obstacles. What what, what are you going to have to get around? What are you going to have to overcome? What do you oh. see as the obstacles to advancing objectivism? You know, um, the way the left has been fighting Ayn Rand is exactly like, uh, I think it's Mahatma Gandhi that says it. Uh, he said, first they ignore you, then they ridicule you, then they fight you, then you win. And I think for a long, long time, um, the the left or the, you know, the people on, on the philosophical left 
trying to ignore Ayn Rand. She doesn't exist. She's not raising new, uh, although she attacks every philosophical premise. Uh, she's a, an Aristotelian. She's coming from an Aristotelian uh, kind of uh, perspective. And um, they've ignored her for decades. So I think that's the main challenge. Uh, the, the fact that uh, it, it's a, it's an uphill battle to push Ayn Rand to be a recognized philosopher by people who study philosophy. Uh, she's not taught in philosophy departments, not, not in many. Although I think she's the most important philosopher in the 20th century. Um, so... Uh, you see the shift from ignoring her, and now they're trying to ridicule, and I think eventually they'll try to fight her, just to find out that she is uh, she wins most of the arguments, like we said in the beginning. I, I sure hope so. Well, you mentioned the obstacles from the outside. Yeah. What What I've experienced, and I, you know, I was incarcerated a long time. I've only been free now. A little bit more than nine months. So the stuff that I, I'm ex or I'm experiencing now and have experienced in social media is new to me. But when mm -hmm. I come across some, I, I don't want to. I don't know if they're objectivists. They claim to be objectivists. Whatever. They're they're followers of Ayn Rand to some extent or or another. And a couple of dynamics that I've come across are one, the parroting of objectivist slogans, like in in the cut and parry of debate they'll throw things out there like you're evading or oh well that's rationalism and it's clear that they're not they're just repeating something that they've heard i mean it's clear to me from the context yeah. another thing that i've come across is this almost i don't know i don't know how to say it but like this unwillingness to disagree with ayn rand about virtually anything now, Rand was an individualist par excellence. She wanted nobody accepting her ideas on faith or adhering to what she thought is dogma. So yeah. I, I, when I first got out of prison, I made a, I put a post on Facebook. And what I said was, if we don't own ourselves, then we can't own anything. Immediately, I, I was attacked. I don't like the word attacked. I was criticized heavily by a lot of people. Oh, that's a libertarian idea. That, that that's a horrible lo and behold I, I looked into it real quickly and I found a bunch of Randian characters who made reference to to owning one's own life to owning one's own mind I found a Nathaniel Brandon interview when he was still associated with Ayn Rand at the Nathaniel Brandlin Institute referring to the concept of owning one's own life and I just recently found a quote from Ayn Rand on the Johnny Carson show where she said that one owns his own life and still people are saying no I've heard everything from no that's just fictional characters to oh but you're misunderstanding her and a guy, some one guy told me because I said I said look she says you own your mind and she also says your mind is yourself it's a simple syllogism and it's not an out of context syllogism. And someone says, oh, that's pure rationalism. It's really not. It's deductive reasoning. If you own your mind and your mind is yourself, you own yourself. It's not complicated. So you, I have that. Even when they seem to think she was wrong, they won't just say, I think she's wrong. They say the idea is wrong, but she never said it, even though she did. And the other part of it, and it's hinted at by the conversations I've had is, 
it's like, well, a libertarian said that, so it must be wrong. One can yeah. disagree with libertarian philosophy without saying that every single word uttered by a libertarian must be false. And I just wonder, one, have you come across that dynamic? And if so, what is the best way to deal with it? Uh, so let's take it one by one. Uh, the first re reference you made is that, yes, Rand is putting forward new words or new meanings to words. What she means when she said an e egoist. Right. What does it mean to be an egoist? And you call it the rational egoist. So you added the word rational, although she doesn't need that word rational. She's like, being an egoist means that you, there's no other way to be an egoist other than rationally, because your reason is your means of survival. Right. Um, rationalism, another word that, yes, I, I learned the meaning of it when I studied objectivism, because she says rationalism is detaching ideas from reality. You're living in, and yes, you're right. I mean, a, a lot of people that claim to be objectivists are, uh, you know, are dogmatic. Uh, it's true because she said so. It's like, what's the difference between that and Christ said so, you know? Exactly. Um, so she says that over and over, and this is what we're teaching in the Iron Institute. Think for yourself. Fight with every idea that you don't think is right, but be honest enough. Just to understand the limits of your understanding and, and be open to hear other arguments. One of the things we're doing in the Institute and in the university is we're trying to um, um, teach our students how to argue for the other side. You know, so when you teach Hume or you teach other philosophers, it was like, how would you attack the, let's say, the attack on free will? What do the, what do the um, let's say, subjectivists have to say about it? What do the uh, mystics have to say about it? And then how would you tackle it? How would you argue? Uh, so I agree with you. I take nothing on faith. Like I said, I validate everything. I think Rand is a brilliant, the, I think one of the four um, leading philosophers of all times. Uh, I count in that Aristotle, Plato, Immanuel Kant, and Ayn Rand, I think two on, are on the wrong side and two are on the right side. You can you can guess who. Uh, <laughs> and and uh, yeah, and you should you should study. You should do the work. You should learn, and then own your life. I mean, who other than you owns your life? Who can own your life other than you? The state. Uh, I mean, I don't know the people who are criticizing you. What what is their claim? What is the alternative? Okay. Um... I'll give you a couple of them. So okay. one is the differentiation between yourself and your life. That's one of the, the the ones that I've heard that the self and your life are two different things. Yourself owns your life, which I found very confusing. Another one was that I was, like I said, being rationalistic. The main one in this, I just find disturbing is it's Murray Rothbard. I, I believe that they're they're concerned with Murray Rothbard justified all rights as coming from self ownership. Okay, I got it. I think that's an error. That doesn't mean self ownership is wrong. And but my main concern with it wasn't because somebody said to me, "Why do you want this to be a true concept?" And I said, it, "It's not that I want it to be. I, I, I'm really, I can do without it. To be perfectly honest with you, if I just have the right to life, that's fine with me." But the point I was getting at was Ayn Rand clearly believed in it. So 
why are you denying that she did or instead of just saying you disagree with her? It, it, well, it, uh, because because I think there's a misunderstanding uh, in how she approaches this. L let's say you live on a uh, desert island by yourself. Mm -hmm. Okay. What is the meaning of the word own? Well, that's there's no, meaning. there's no meaning to it. You have no one to negotiate ownership with. That's true. So it's not a, a part of reality and you have to see it and learn it. It's a concept. It's a concept. It's an invention that we make. They're true to say it doesn't exist. Can you see ownership of oneself? Where is ownership? Can you show it to me? Where, is that? Where are individual rights? Can you see it? Can you touch it? Can you smell it? No, you can't. So this is what people don't understand. She studies the, the human condition which is something you can see and you can observe introspectively and extrospectively. And then from there, you derive the requirements of a human life uh, and, and what are the, um, the, the prerequisites for a flourishing human life. And you see that part of it is, I need to speak, I need to think, I need to own my, I, I need to move, I need to uh, work and I need to, uh, you know, uh, keep the the outputs of my own uh, work, right? Otherwise, you're detaching cause and effect, right? Of the, I'm working this land. Why did you take the crops from me or steal, you know, steal my iPhone when I paid for it, right? Um, so it's those are concepts. Those are conceptual inventions. You know, started by a lineage of of thinkers. You know, John Locke and uh, and others. Um, where they say, okay, if we want to apply reason to the question of how should we live together, we need to invent new ideas that then uh, you start to talk about ownership of self. Who owns my life? The king, the state, the pope, or me, right? And that was, of course, back in the days, of course, you, you, you're part of a tribe, right? The tribe owns you, whatever the tribe is. And then those thinkers started to say, no, it doesn't make sense. I mean, if you really see how humans thrive and what they need, they need to uh, self-author, right? They need to uh, manage themselves. Whatever that is, they can make mistakes. They can be stupid, but they own that. So the idea of ownership came, came there. So um, it's a philosophical, political philosophical invention that gave us the United States of America, that gave us the, uh, the the Industrial Revolution of America, of see what happens. And Ayn Rand says, I don't think that any philosopher before the Industrial Revolution could really understand the meaning of what it means to own one's life. What does it mean for giving humans freedom to, I mean, think about people coming to the new world, as they called it, with nothing and for nothing other than freedom that is and they they thrived with no uh, state uh, you know welfare they there were nothing there was nothing no public school no public hospitals no public roads no public education no public healthcare nothing and they flocked into the united states to make a life that is theirs where nobody tells them what to do now it was Fierce competition, laissez-faire capitalism for a little while. A little while. We saw what capitalism can do. And then again, the ideas were migrated from Europe to America 
to to see the destruction of uh, free markets as we we know it. And what we have right now is is a mixed uh, mishmash of of a little bit of freedom uh, and of course a lot of regulation. Um, Rand sees ownership as a political um, you know concept that is is answering the question how should we live as a society? It's not part of reality. You cannot see it. And people, for some reason, ignore concepts uh, as if they are not something. I mean, what is an airplane? How did we come to build an airplane? If not by the power of ideas that understood pressure, right? You cannot directly see it sometimes, or, you know, uh, I don't know, radioactive waves or, or microwaves. But still, we harness those with the power of our mind. She sees a full integration of mind and body, of conceptions that are actually integrate our knowledge of reality. And part of it is political knowledge. What do we need? And I disagree with the libertarians, with Mary Rothbard and everybody else, because they don't understand where ideas come from and how to re kind of, they don't understand the meaning of force. They think you can trade with it, where obviously you can't. Uh, so there are many things to say about it. I think to answer your question fully, it's just really understanding Rand's uh, philosophical perspective and the way she views. What does it mean? Why did she call objectivism objectivism? Because of the epistemology she's putting forward. She's saying there's a way that you can validate that your concepts, your abstract concepts, are actually objective. Ideas should be objective, right? I, I, I'm delivering this workshop called uh, the happiness team. It's to apply objectivism towards one's own happiness. And I say happiness is objective. It's not whatever you feel. I mean, try to ask people in the street what happiness is. They have no idea. The most important concept of all, forget about politics, forget about freedom. Let's say you have it. The world is, uh, you know, a laissez-faire capitalism heaven. What do you do now? How do you pursue your happiness? I don't know what it is. I mean, uh, so um, before anything, just try to understand why she called it objectivism. And the fact, the beauty of objectivism is that she gives you so much clarity to the most abstract ideas like morality and happiness and a really understanding virtue, all of those floating abstractions in other, you know, uh, philosophies where it's really unclear. Um, I mean, what are you supposed to do as a subjectivist to to figure out morality? It's whatever the the the, the largest number of people say it is, right? That's how we landed land in collectivism and and the horrific uh, you know regimes that we we're seeing coming out of that philosophy. Um, so there's a lot of beauty in it. It just requires you to do the heavy lifting of learning how to think uh, objectively. And that's the, that's that's the most important thing. I would say, forget about objectivism, forget about anything. Just be interested in improving your life, improving your way of thinking. So you, this uh, tool that you have, your survival tool, is more efficacious in understanding reality. And yourself. All right. I'm a big believer in debate. I yeah. think that to debate with people with different ideas, even if I strongly differ with them, 
especially on a platform like like this and podcasts, uh, you know, YouTube, whatever, in a public forum, because people that are watching can really get a sense of the ideas involved. So I've had a few people on on my show. Uh, I've had socialists on. I've had anarchists on. I've had whatever. I, I debate with them. Now, there's a concept in objectivism that I happen to agree with about not sanctioning evil. But, I mean, for instance, you go and you buy stuff at the store. You don't worry about, you know, where the guy at the store is. You, you just go and you deal with them. So the, it, it's not a, a concept that's clear that in this instance, it's a sanction and this isn't. And I, I would... I. So I wanted to ask you, in, in full disclosure, I saw an advertisement for a debate coming up between Yaron Brook and uh, um, Brian Kaplan. I've actually had Brian Kaplan on the show. And I'm just going to close <laughs> close the blinds here. So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'm having some weather issues over here too. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of uh, we have a big storm. A lot of sunlight coming in, and uh, we'll see if I can fix it. Yeah. One second. That's innovation. <laughs> Solve your own problems. <laughs> exactly. I think I got it. Like now I I can see. <laughs> okay. So and the sun is not in my eyes. Yes. So I saw that Yaron Brook was going to debate Brian Kaplan, who is an, an anarchist. And then I saw a, a comment on Facebook that said, Well, how isn't this sanctioning evil? And so I just want to know what are your thoughts or and what is the ARI's position about debating people with whom we disagree even strongly? Yeah. That's a good question. Um well, first the perspective is of course the perspective of morality, which is egoism. And uh the first question you need to ask yourself before we talk about, you know, big things like ARI debating uh anarchists is for you to, like, should I engage with someone in a debate? And the question is why? Why would you? I mean, I am not debating uh, a lot of people that want to debate with me because I don't see the the selfish reason for this. I mean, I know that people will not change their mind. They're just doing it for the fun of it. Uh, nothing will be gained. So I'm not spending my precious time on people uh, who want to debate because what's the point? Unless you see a value in it by mm -hmm. improving the way you understand your ideas, validating your ideas. I had enough of anarchists. I don't want to debate them anymore. Uh, it makes no sense to me. I think their epistemology is corrupt. This is why it's useless. Um, by the way, Leonard Pikoff once told me, um, you know, everyone will want to talk about politics. And you would think that you need to try to get them to think uh, ethically, right? Or uh, morally to say, let's, let's, let's talk about what the good is and what the vision is and so on. But really what you want to do is to uh, teach them new epistemology, how to think, not what to think, but how to think. And in the question about all the questions, you should ask yourself, what is the reason that I'm doing this? Uh, because if you think about it objectively, it's like my life is mine, like you said, you know, and um, I want to spend my time in the most in the best possible way. Now, it's a very complicated thing uh, that a lot of, you know, a lot of debate within the objectivist community happened because of it, which is uh, the, uh, the, the, the question of uh, debating. The way I think about it, again, think about it objectively. If there's a value in debating someone, let's say Iran decided to debate because he knows that there's going to be a big audience 
of people who are truly interested to learn. And he says, before he goes on, I disagree with Kaplan. I think his, his ideas are evil. I'm in no way sanctioning or endorsing anything that he says. I'm here for you, the audience, not for him. And for me and you, I think that is valid. But uh, there were, I don't know if you heard about some splits in the objectivist community that, that went beyond that. It's like, oh, ideas are just ideas, you know. No, ideas should be judged. Sure. And ideas, ideas more than anything should be judged uh, because they lead to, um, to you know, death and blood and, and uh, everything evil. Um, so I think it's a very nuanced question that you have to think about because it's, it's an individual question more than anything. But what's in it for you? And uh, I would say if somebody wants to argue with you for the sake of argument, why waste your time? Oh, yeah. Go, go learn someone, something new or go talk to someone who's willing to learn. Right. Well, that makes sense to me. So, <laughs> so what, what are your thoughts and feelings about the future of objectivism? I'm very optimistic. Because from where I stand, which is the kind of the center of gravity of objectivism, I see a growing number of people getting interesting in Ayn Rand. She's been read more than ever. The number of books that are being requested is growing every year. Uh, the number of young people interested in Ayn Rand to the point where they want to make, make a career out of it is growing. We, we had two junior fellows a couple of years ago. Now we have over 20. Um, we had uh, what we was used to call be called the Objectivist uh, uh, Academic Center, and we had I don't know batches of ten people a year. Now we have 157 uh, active students in our university. I expect this to continue to grow. Uh, we get hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of hits on our website, and I think now that the entire corpus of objectivism is out there and is continuing to be developed um, is, is there for free and people are consuming it. Uh, you know, uh, the, the, uh, the Mike Wallace interview with Ayn Rand just surpassed a million views. We just put it out, uh, I think over a year ago, um, uh, officially, by the way, it was pirated before. And uh, th those are the things I'm looking at. And more than anything, it's the number of uh, influential objectivist intellectuals that are doing work out there in the in the world. Uh, people like Yaron Brook, people like Alex Epstein, uh, many other in academia, um, Greg Salmieri, Tara Smith. Um, there are up and coming uh, intellectuals who are there uh, doing work I mean, the work we're doing within the Institute, uh, the quality of the uh, of the intellectuals we're uh, nurturing, uh, you know, headed by Ankar Gatte, who I think is a brilliant philosopher and um, a big group of, you know, philosophers within the Institute who are teaching a new generation. There's a, a lot to be optimistic about. Will it take time? Yes. Will we see, uh, you know, uh, a big cultural change in the next decade or two. I don't know. You know, maybe there will be some kind of an inciting, uh, um, you know, incident or something that will hap will happen that will bring more people to to objectivism to discover the beauty of of this integrated system of ideas. Um, but I'm optimistic, and you know, I, what drives me is her quote 
that says anyone who fights for the future lives in it today. And it's true. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, my world is, is great. I get to uh, talk about ideas like that all day long, work with amazing people. My world is amazing. So, um, you know, that's that's what we're fighting for. And by the way, I don't think that there's people say, when will we know? When will uh, we win? What does it mean to win? Right? Will the world ever be? Everybody's like, yes, now we get it. The world <laughs> is a, an objectivist heaven. No, it, it's a, it's life is life. You know, it's complicated, it's complex. People have free will. Uh, they're free to make mistakes, they're free to promote bad ideas. And you live your life according to your values. That's that's the most important thing. Well said. Well, where can people find you? Uh, at einrand.org. Um, uh, that's that's our website. I would recommend downloading an app called the Einrand University uh, on on you know uh, Google or Apple, uh, wherever whatever you're using on your mobile app. Um, they can find us on YouTube. We have the Ayn Rand Institute channel. Uh, we have our publication called New Ideal, newideal.einrand.org. And more than anything, if you really want to understand, and you, you've read some Ayn Rand, our, our prerequisites is read fiction and read nonfiction, join our reading groups, and then join the Ayn Rand University and deepen your understanding of objectivism for your own sake, for your own life. It starts from introduction to objectivism and uh, philosophy through fiction that we're offering to really understand the philosophy as part of the, her fiction writing, and then move on to the nonfiction and deeper into specifics, uh, whatever domain interests you, if it's epistemology or ethics or politics. We're expanding uh, the realm of courses to law and literature and many other uh, courses, even the introduction to material sciences from the objectivist perspective. Um, to, to really better understand life. Uh, so I think um, joining the Ayn Rand University as an auditor or as a graded student, whatever you, you want to do, is a great, is a great uh, thing to think about. It will improve the quality of your life. I can guarantee that. And that is what's most important. Exactly. Well, Tal Tzfani, thank you so much for being here today. Even with I've got some technical difficulties, I got a storm going on around me. That's why people see me looking around. Yes. For now, oh, this safe, is the I, I will. For now, this is the rational egoist. I'm Michael Leibowitz signing out. And remember, let me know what you think. If you got any questions, post them. I'll do my best to answer them. Till next time.